not a test. This is a public service announcement from Power Company Climbing. This is not a test. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time, this What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to a public service announcement from Power Company Climbing, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. So just the other day, can you hear the anxiety in my voice here? Um, Just the other day, I got a text from Blake Cash, one of our coaches, in our group coach text. And it was a screenshot of an article he had just seen online and he underlined a sentence. The sentence read, A simple way to build power is to try difficult moves when you're already tired. My immediate response was, What the hell is this from? When Blake told me it was from a Climbing Magazine article, I was a little bit shocked. But only a little bit because I've been considering doing this for a while. Um, There's a lot of information getting put on the internet every day about training, and I am just as guilty as everyone else of adding to that information overload. Some of that information is good, some of it's bad, and some of it, like this article, is downright dangerous. And it's kind of the last straw for me. So initially, I was going to tear this article up. I was a little bit upset that someone like Climbing Magazine, who uh, is trusted by beginners coming into the sport, would put out something so blatantly misinformed, uninformed, and dangerous. However, I... uh, I do realize that not everyone knows how to parse these articles to determine which advice is worth considering and which should just be thrown into the trash. I mean, hell, even some training companies just blindly share every training article that's written without vetting it first. So how on earth are we all supposed to figure this out? And my hope with this public service announcement is not to go off the rails, which there's potential for, but to arm you with the ability to vet these articles for yourself. So that's the goal here. So first off, if an article has a clickbait title or makes big promises, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It just means that you should be prepared to be critical. Again, I'm just as guilty as the next person of trying to bait people in with good titles. Most writers are. So you're going to have to be critical often, which honestly is a good thing. Here's what I mean by being critical. If it makes that big claim, it's likely that it's been true at least one time, at least for the purpose of this article, it's actually worked, actually happened. So it's your job to look at the article and try to determine what the outside contributing factors might be that made it work, that made it true once. Um, 
I know that sounds hard, but let's look at some examples and maybe maybe you can begin to understand what I'm talking about. So Rock and Ice recently put out an article titled How I Went from 510B to My First 512 in Seven Months. And it's a good article. It's well done. It's got solid advice. I agree with nearly everything in the article. But 10B to 12A in seven months is a pretty big claim. So I looked at it a little more critically. Is there something missing there? Are there outside circumstances that might be contributing to this 12A in seven months? And the author starts to give it away in the very first sentence. I live in a town where climbing 513 is normal. Now, that town happens to be Lander, which is where I live, and I happen to know why climbing 513 is pretty normal here. So I'm at an advantage when I'm looking at this article critically. You may not understand Lander. You may not, you know, you may not see why there's significance there. But the first sentence of the next paragraph begins, In January 2017, I was climbing in Sinks Canyon. Boom. That's the key. Those two things combined tell you that in Lander, you can sport climb pretty much all winter, all summer, all spring, all fall. You can climb year-round in Lander, comfortably in good conditions. That's not the case in most of the U.S. And if you're starting on 10B, time on real rock is huge, huge. And the article makes good points. Like I said, all of those things that the author lists in the article definitely contributed. But this is the big key that's not mentioned. Let's assume, let's assume you live in Chicago, you work a career, maybe you have a family. You're a long way from climbing, so the winter months, December, January, February, you might take a little short bouldering trip, maybe a week, you boulder for four days outside. Uh, then March through May, let's assume you're a maniac and you bust your ass, drive the seven hours to Red River Gorge every single weekend. You get a full day on Saturday, but it's on little sleep because you just drove seven hours on Friday. And then Sunday, you get an hour or two in the morning if you're up for it. And if we are doing that, Every weekend for those three months, let's call it 12 weekends. I'm not sure what it is. I assume it's around 12. Let's call it 12 weekends. That means you're driving 168 hours round trip to go climbing for essentially one day a weekend. That's 12 days of climbing through the good season. 12 days. Here in Lander, you can climb three or four days a week after work because Sinks is 10 minutes from town, and that's all year if you want to. Now, the summer months, if you're trying to climb in Red River Gorge in the summer and you're from Chicago, that's a lot of time and money to spend for 90-plus degrees and 90% jungle-like humidity. In Lander, two days a week for those seven months winter, spring, summer, that's 60 days of climbing if it's only two days a week. But like I said, you can get out three, four, however many days you want, really. So you could easily 
get in 10 times more climbing days than that person in Chicago. That goes a long way. And I don't say that to disparage this article. Like I said, it's a good article. But someone in Chicago or someone in St. Louis or someone in Cincinnati who has a career, has a family, has responsibilities, and doesn't live anywhere near outdoor climbing that they can get to on the regular doesn't have that opportunity. And seeing that someone else climbed 10B to 12A in seven months, they might say, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to strength train. That's going to be it. I need to get a coach. I need to you know, do these other things that the, the author mentions that are great things, but they're missing that key element of getting outside. When if they prioritize that, make that something that can happen, shift things around, allow that to happen, they stand a much better chance. And honestly, I'm not immune to making these mistakes. Um, let me give you an example. I once made the statement on Facebook eight or nine years ago that I could attribute my success that season. It was like my breakout sport climbing season that I could contribute my success mostly to the moon fingerboard. I still stand by that. I believe that's true. But many of the people who bought that hangboard because of the post that I made didn't see the same results. Why? Uh, same situation. Outside factors. I was a former traddy. I had climbed a lot on real rock. I had good footwork. I had good endurance. I had good technique. But I'd spent zero time training my finger strength. In fact, most of my hardest ascents to that point were cracks and or Red River jug hauls. So that finger strength, that lack of finger strength was a gaping hole in my profile. Wasn't necessarily so with the other people. So you have to look for those outside factors. If something's making that big claim, see if you can figure out why. You know, those big claims are usually the exception. They're not the rule. Now, also, if an article claims to be the one workout you need or, you know, the best workout or gives a one-size-fits-all workout, then, again, be critical. It may very well be a great workout. It might be an amazing workout, but you may not need it. And this requires you to be honest in your own self-analysis. I know how difficult that can be, but you're going to have to. Very often we read an article or a book and we zero in on that part that sounds like what we already do, what we're already good at, and think either, I don't need to do any more work, I'm already good at this, or I'm already doing it, no need to self-analyze. Most of us, maybe not you, but probably you, are doing things because you're good at them. If you can remove your own bias while parsing information and look closer at what you need instead of just at what validates you, then you're a big step ahead. And again, I'd like to look at an example. I just did a Google search, quick Google search for best climbing workouts. And one of the first things that popped up was from Gear Patrol. And it said, three best workouts for rock climbers. I click on the link. At the link, the title is three essential workouts for rock climbers. Well, this is even better because now I get the three best and three essential workouts. So 
I'm going to be the complete climber here, right? But what are the three they suggest? The, they suggest deadlifts. They suggest thoracic spine rotations. And they suggest stretching your pecs, your chest muscles. Are these good recommendations? Sure. Uh, in fact, I have clients do all three of these things. But it's a very, very specific case where these three exercises are the best for you or are essential for you. Uh, there are a lot of cases where you don't need any of these. And climbing isn't even mentioned here. I mean, climbing is not an essential workout for climbers, according to Gear Patrol. And that's an easy one. I mean, most of you are going to look at that and completely disregard the suggestions, but I could certainly see the situation where some, you know, weightlifter comes into climbing, deadlifts right here. That's one of the three best workouts for rock climbers, even though this person can already deadlift two and a half or three times their body weight. I should keep doing it. I mean, I want to be a good rock climber. And then if I throw in some thoracic spine rotation and stretch my pecs, Chris Sharma tomorrow. So again, be honest with yourself. You know, be aware of your biases and make sure that you're not just validating yourself. Uh, a good quick example of that, I think, is actually Alex Magos. He was once asked what were his top three training tips. His answer was antagonist training, antagonist training, antagonist training. I don't know why he chose to say that three times. Hopefully he didn't do it quickly. That's difficult. But anyway, there's that bias. Alex Magos does a lot of antagonist training. He's known for how strong he is. Um, and not just in a climbing sense, but if you've ever watched the guy on rings, he's super strong. He's done a lot of that. But he's also the technically the best rock climber I've ever watched rock climb. He's a very, very good rock climber. If you're not a good rock climber, if you're just starting and you don't quite understand the techniques yet and you haven't spent much time climbing, I don't care how much antagonist training you do. It's not going to make you a better climber. So to say that, that's, that those are your top three training tips, 100% bias. And that brings me to athletes. Um, Here's a place that's tough and you need to be extremely critical. Um, if they're posting it on Instagram, there's a good chance it just looks cool. It's just a circus trick. And frankly, most training just doesn't look that cool. Um, there's also a good chance it's the first time or maybe even the first week that they're doing it. Um, they can't possibly know yet if it's helping their climbing. Not a chance. But if you like what you see that athlete doing, whoever your favorite climber is, if you like that and you think it might help you, ask a coach. I mean, there's tons of them around. They're all over the internet. There's probably one in your gym. Um, ask your gym coach. For God's sakes, don't ask the desk employees. They probably don't know. Some of them may. Some of them pay a lot of attention. But a lot of them think they know things that they don't know. So don't ask the desk employees about training. Not a good idea. You can also look to the good climbers in your gym. If they're a good climber 
who isn't injured often, who continues to perform at a relatively high level, see what they think. If there's someone who's constantly disagreeing, who's pointing out why everyone is wrong, and who thinks that their way is the way and the only way, whether they're a just a good climber or a coach, steer clear. Uh, just don't even bother. Chances are that person is entirely wrong. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts just recently had a guest on who said, being a bird doesn't make you an ornithologist. Keep that in mind. Now, maybe the worst perpetrators are these well-written, seemingly thoroughly researched articles, particularly the ones that come from the industry magazines. And in my opinion, those are the worst offenders because they have the resources to reach out to coaches, to trainers, to people who know what they're talking about. Um, Very often, these articles are bullshit, for lack of a better word. Um, Actually, that's not lack of a better word. I have a lot of better words, but they're bullshit. And it's tough to, to know when you come into the sport and you trust Climbing Magazine or Rock and Ice or whoever, it's tough to know whether what they're writing is good information or bad information. Um, one of the first things you can do, though, is look at the author. A quick Google search is usually plenty. Um, if you type in the name Neil Gresham, you're going to find out that Neil knows what he's talking about, and you can take his training articles and gain a lot from them. If you type in the name Eric Hirsch, you're going to see the same thing. Steve Bechtel, you're going to see the same thing. Ava Lopez, you're, you're going to find that Ava knows what she's talking about. All these people know what they're talking about, and it's easy to pretty quickly find out what their specialties are and what they're really qualified to talk about. If you type in a name and nothing comes up, that indicates they're a coach or a trainer or have a history of progression. Um, if nothing like that pops up, it's time to turn on though that critical mind and, and really pay attention to what you're reading. If they're a writer and you can tell from your Google search that it's a writer with no listed sources in the article, just exit out. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Even if something in that article is worth looking at, it's likely that you'll find the same thing from a more reputable source. That's where the writer got it to begin with. Um, And that's the case with this Climbing Magazine article that started all of this. The article's title is Choose Your Own Training Adventure, 10 On-The-Wall Climbing Workouts. A quick Google search of the author shows that the author is indeed a writer, Nothing on her site suggests that she's qualified to write about climbing training. There are no sources cited in the article, and the book that this article is an excerpt from that's being published by Climbing Magazine doesn't list any other authors. The cover only shows her as the author. So I'm immediately skeptical, but I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to read it critically. Um... And in the very first exercise suggested in the article, the author defines power as pure strength. Most of us here know that that's not the case. 
That's not what power is. Power is not pure strength. Pure strength is strength. Um, Power is the speed at which you can exert that strength. So it's already going downhill for me, you know, and honestly, this is where I risk going off the rails, but I'm going to keep it under control. Now, at first glance, I mean, if you don't, if that doesn't get you, if you don't know the definition of power, which is, you know, why should you? But at first glance, this article looks well done. You know, the author tells you what energy system you'll be training, the intensity level required for the workout, how long it should take. And there are even photos of big name climbers doing the workouts. It looks legit. And like I said, I was all set to tear this article apart. I was prepared, but that's not going to accomplish anything. Frankly, it would take hours. I've got pages and pages and pages of notes. Instead, I want to look at two of the suggested 10 workouts and tell you why they're dangerous so you can see what I'm seeing. And I would suggest that if this is something that surprises you, um, then maybe go to the article and look through it yourself. Try to find, try to use these techniques that I'm using to read this article critically and find what else in it is bad. And you don't need to know a lot of the science. Um, A lot of this is just common sense. Let's start with the one that sounds most appealing, the World Cup simulator. I like the World Cup. It's fun to watch. Um, This sounds fun. And actually, many of the people in our Facebook community group had a really hard time deciphering this one, but I think I've deciphered it, and I think it's junk, and I'm going to tell you why. So, the article says that it trains strength and power. You're training at high intensity, but it takes all day. Now, I know that isn't possible. I know you can't train high intensity all day. Um, 90% or more of your max effort for all day. 30 minutes is pushing it. I mean, that's why marathon runners aren't running 100-yard splits in nine seconds. You know, it's just not possible. But you may not know that. So let's look a little bit deeper here. Now it reads, This exercise takes the concept of the bouldering World Cup, hard problems with a time limit, and dials up the, the intensity and volume. Okay, sounds fun, but the Bouldering World Cup is a competition that looks for the best athletes at doing hard problems with a time limit. What what on earth makes this person think that we should be turning up the volume and the intensity higher? I mean, is this competition, the World Cup, purposely too easy? No. It's difficult. There's no reason that a beginner climber should be turning up the volume, up the intensity. Not an intermediate climber, not most advanced climbers. Bad idea. World Cups are World Cup level difficult. Your training shouldn't be harder than that. Performances are harder than training. That's just the way it is. But let's say you read right through that because you're excited, you want to do the workout, sounded fun. 
the workout is you pick a project that takes a full session. You spend 15 minutes projecting it. When time's up, you then have 15 minutes to try and climb every problem in the gym that's several grades lower than your project with no rest. Then straight back to the project for 15 more minutes. Six total rounds. So that's 90 minutes of projecting, 90 minutes of climbing as many relatively easy problems as you can. Now, there's a possibility that after adding that up in your head, you might think that 90 minutes of climbing as many easy problems as possible sounds a lot more like endurance or stamina, but nothing like strength or power, or even power endurance, which in the description they also say you're training. So at this point, we're training strength, power, power endurance, and endurance. This is the complete exercise. Why isn't everyone else on earth doing it? It I mean, it's the only thing you need, right? The description goes on to say that if you fail on your easy problems, you should immediately return to the project. Don't rest. Don't collect $200. Don't pass go. So if you're falling off of V1s, you should go try your V4 project some more. What it doesn't say is that If you escape this without a finger injury or a shoulder injury, consider yourself lucky. Can you see the problems there? So all you really have to do is add up what the article is telling you to do and put a little bit of thought into that. What does that actually look like in practice? It all sounds great when you're putting it on paper, but what's it look like in practice? How's that sound to you? Does it jive with what the article says is the goal in this case not even sort of close all right let's do one more and honestly this one's my favorite um it's called peter pans these are particularly special because it's a it's a take on a popular core exercise for climbers that's been around for a long time uh, it's one that we actually recommend in our upcoming core for climbers ebook And many of you might be familiar with this exercise. Um, Again, train strength and power. You're at a high intensity level. Takes less than an hour. Okay, so far so good. We're on the right track with this one. But the problems, are they come in the details. I'm going to read you the description. There are three things that will make you a better climber. Core, core, and more core. Peter Pans are a great way to focus on core by climbing. No need to get on the floor and crank out a thousand crunches. Next time you get on the wall, imagine a line from your fingertip to your toes. You must keep every muscle on this line tight to stay on. This is called body tension, and a strong core is crucial for maintaining it. The basic idea behind Peter Pan's is to execute standard climbing moves, but then intentionally cut your feet loose, which teaches you to react quickly and activate the correct muscles. Okay, so... I agree. Core is important for climbing. And a lot of people really like what this article is calling Peter Pan's to train their core for climbing. The biggest problem here for me comes when they start talking about body tension. You have to keep all your muscles tight in order to keep your feet on. So now let's practice cutting your feet and removing body tension uh, to learn better body tension. That 
that flies in the face of, you know what, maybe there's some logic here. I don't see it, but that flies in the face of all research on practice. If you want to learn something, you don't practice the opposite. You don't practice making mistakes. Um, Baseball players don't practice striking out to become a better hitter. This is the same thing. If you want to learn body tension, you don't practice losing body tension. So, so the premise behind the exercise is wrong already. Big red flag for me. That doesn't mean the exercise itself is necessarily bad. It might just be good for something else that this author isn't mentioning or something else they have mentioned, which is core. It might be a good core exercise. More than likely, it's a practice in getting your feet back on, controlling swings, and understanding how to engage the correct muscles, which they do mention. Now, the workout is where it becomes a really big problem. The workout description is choose an overhanging climb with decent holds. For each move, cut both feet intentionally. Swing them off the wall and then back on. Make the next move and then swing them off the wall and back on. Repeat for every move on the climb. Keep your arms slightly bent to engage your core. Don't straight arm anything. This workout will tire your body quickly, so you might not need as many climbs to get worked. Beginners aim for 10 problems when bouldering or 5 routes when sport climbing. Intermediate advanced climbers aim for 15 to 20 problems or 10 routes. Okay. So first off, if you want to know a red flag in general, that if you see it in an article, um, run the other way, that's get tired, this workout's meant to tire you out, or get worked, that's not training. And frankly, that's just the hallmark of a bad trainer, a bad coach. If all they're doing is trying to make you tired and get you worked, that's not making you better. You know, how many times have you fallen off your project because you're so fatigued you just can't move anymore? Not very often. So are there some occasions where getting worked is a good idea? Sure, but 98% of the time in training for rock climbing, not a good idea. Run the other way if you see that. So that's a big red flag first off. Second, we can do some simple math here and look at the actual workout and it becomes pretty apparent that this is a really bad idea. Um, beginner climber, okay? The workout for beginners is to do five routes, swinging your feet off the wall intentionally for every move. First off, let's assume beginners are on five routes that are steep enough for these kind of shenanigans and they're not just jumping off of a vertical wall. That's still, if I'm on the conservative side, if, if your gym is only 25 feet tall, that's still 125 moves or so for those five routes. 125 moves. If you're an intermediate climber, that's 250 moves, again, on the conservative side, that you're cutting your feet, swinging your feet off the wall. That's a load of unnecessary stress on your shoulders, on your fingers, on your core, on on your body in general. 
Not even to mention that beginners should absolutely not be practicing making mistakes on purpose. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, not going to go off the rails here. Um, again, if you look at these articles critically, if you use some common sense, which every single one of you has, it's pretty easy to see why these workouts are problematic why these articles are problematic and really frankly there's no excuse for it Um, in today's world there are so many good coaches out there some I've already mentioned so many good trainers out there who can give someone like Climbing Magazine much better information than this so in my opinion this is this is unexcusable um Climbing Magazine should feel ashamed, frankly, to to put out this article and to be publishing a book about it and trying to sell it. It looks like a money grab to me, to be honest. Um, there's there's just nothing. Okay, I'm going off the rails. All right, pulling it back together here. Um, I'm just going to leave you with a few questions that you can ask yourself, that you can go through to make sure that what you're reading. Um, isn't just bad information. Number one, who's the author? It's so easy to vet these authors now to find out who it is that's giving you this information and if they have the background to support it. Or who's the climber showing you this on their Instagram or on their Facebook? And is this something that they've done before, something they do regularly? You can scroll back through their Instagram and oftentimes see that they've done this thing once you can read the caption and oh, i tried this cool thing today that doesn't mean it's a training thing it's just a circus trick circus tricks are cool they're fun i like them as much as the next person but is this climber doing it as part of their training is this part of what got them there or is it just something they're doing now don't be afraid to ask questions either if you know post on their instagram is this something you were doing when you were climbing 511 i'm just curious you know, most pros are gonna gonna be okay with that sort of approach and gonna answer your questions. Ask yourself if it makes sense. Um, look deep at it. Add up the the reps and the times, and is there rest built in? Could you make this fit into your per, into your schedule or a normal person's schedule? If not, if it if it seems strange, if it seems like it's going to take all day long, it's probably not making sense. It's probably no good. And is this something you need? Um, or is it just validating what you're already doing and making you feel good about how you're already training, even though you're not progressing in your training? So whether or not you actually need it might be the most important thing here. Um, You don't need all the training gadgets. You don't need all the training uh, exercises and workouts or plans. You need what you need. Um, And frankly, you can reach out to a coach if you don't know what's out there. Um, So this has been a public service announcement from Power Company Climbing. Share it with the people that you know need it. Uh, If a beginner asks you in the gym, how do I get better? Send them this way. This is a good start. And of course, share it on your social medias, on the Facebooks, the Instagrams. 
Share it all over the damn place. You can share it on the Twitters, but we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Yeah.